0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. For those who are visiting, we're actually going through a series that's looking at our visions and values as a body. And um, we've looked at various things like the importance of scripture, worship, and really I hope people would say that it's been quite inspiring to actually consider what it means to us to be this body, what we actually stand for. And the one I'm going to talk about today is loving, meeting, sharing, and caring communities. And basically we define that as we're being a church that is a loving community, meeting both publicly and from house to house, sharing and caring for each other's needs, both spiritual and material. Now, I grew up in a mining community. My father was a miner. And I remember every single year we would come together as a community and have what was called a day, And it was fantastic, the whole community we come out and we celebrate the fact that we were a community. The downside to that when you were a kid is because everyone knew everyone else, the minute you were caught misbehaving, they felt quite happy either giving you a clip round the ear or telling your parents, or if you were really unlucky, doing both. It was that sort of community. You know, everyone knew everyone. People would get together and help each other and really there was just this whole sense that people were in a shared environment people looked after each other and then in the 80's Margaret Thatcher said this she said that community is dead isn't that a terrible thing? community is dead and then as if to prove a point Certainly she destroyed the community I grew up in by closing the mine. People had to move away from the area. People were left whose identity had been a miner for 30 years with nothing else to go into. The whole atmosphere of the village changed. You know where you had people who were proud that they had this identity. Suddenly it was taken from them. And all it became was... Like we've got so many of down here, another commuting village. There was no jobs in the village for the people who had worked in the mine. If they wanted to work, they had to drive to where the work was, or they had to physically uproot and move to where the work was. Community is an important thing. As humans, we thrive on it. When we experiment with a society of me, 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 all we end up with is a lot of brokenness, hurt and loneliness. And I think we can see in the last 30 years that's been happening. And for a guy who works in IT, I even think that technology has been a lot at fault for what's happened with the community. Because how many hours do we see children now sitting in bedrooms by themselves. Social networking. You know, what's social about being sat in front of a computer screen, typing in a keyboard? To me, social involves communicating face-to-face with someone. And I think that it's a sad thing that we moved away with that, from that. So here's a question, having gone on about community, I want to ask you a question. What is church? When you think of church, what do you think of? Do you think of fantastic church buildings that have been built to God by people who lived in the Middle Ages and really knew what it was to want to glorify God and put their best endeavours or all their talents into building these fantastic buildings? Or is it a Sunday meeting? Is it what we come to and do here? Does it include our midweek groups? Is that still church? What happens in the summer when we have no church meetings? Or on the days when we don't have a meeting to attend? Do we stop being church then? Or do we continue to be church but by other means? I've got to a certain time in my life where I've realized that I do start looking back on my life now. You know, I I think there's a time in your life where you're young and everything you look at is ahead of you, isn't it? But then there's some crossover point. Don't even ask me when it happens. But there is a crossover point when you think back to some of the times that you had. And at New Year, I phoned up the guy that was my best man. Because when I moved down here, we had a fantastic relationship. And we used to meet up almost every second month or third month to go hill walking together. And it just struck me that it's been at least two years, possibly three years, since we'd actually got together. We kept in contact with social network sites and by email. Even picking up the phone had been a difficult thing. So New Year's Day, I thought, I'm going to phone Chris and arrange a walk. I picked up the phone and I spoke to him. And it was almost like nothing that had happened. There had never been a gap. You know, right away it's like, oh, how are you doing? Isn't it great to hear from you when we're getting together? And that was the sort of conversation we had. And, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we are going to meet together on the Scottish border somewhere and climb up a hill and wonder why we're doing it when we're getting <laughs> too old for it, really. But it struck me as I was talking to him And thinking about the value of that relationship, that some of the best church times that I've experienced haven't actually been in a church meeting. Some of the best church times I've had in my life have actually been spent on windswept, rain lashed, hillsides, walking with friends who were Christian and also sharing those walks with friends who were non-Christian because we'd take the time to talk about what God was doing in our lives when we got together. We didn't all go to the same churches, but we all shared the same faith. And there were fantastic times. Because we shared a lot together, we would discuss a lot together. We knew when somebody needed help. And we'd all chip in and help the person out, whether that was giving our time, or giving our material belongings, or even just driving someone to an appointment somewhere, or somewhere they had to be. We would always do it. But on the walks, I said, there was Christians and non-Christians on them. But we would make time in our conversations to talk about God and what God was doing in our life. And that has a fantastic thing when you start doing it because it builds you up. You know, if you hear that God is doing something good in someone's life, you don't just think, well, good for them, do you? You think, isn't that fantastic that God is moving in that person? And there's something in you that wants to have that same moving of God, isn't there? It's the spirit in us crying out, saying, yeah, I want that. So we gave our testimonies as to what God had been doing since we'd last got together. And the incredible thing about that is it wasn't long before non-Christians who came out walking with us as part of this group actually started asking us, so what's God been doing in your life You know, and that is an incredible stage for a non-Christian to get to, to ask what God is doing in your life. Sometimes, and this is going to sound really sad, but we'd find ourselves actually singing worship songs as we walked. I remember um, singing Amazing Grace one time as we walked. And it was absolutely incredible because we stopped when we went around the corner and found this large walking party coming towards us. And as they walked past us, they were all smiling at us, so they'd obviously heard, you know. But it just made you feel really funny because you're thinking, were we actually being crazy and dumb then? Or were we being church? You know, where we praising God as a spontaneous thing? <coughs> and how did it look to other people? you come to realize is that people love singing. And the reason they were smiling at us wasn't because they thought we were weird, it's because we had something that was making us happy and they appreciated that. When the church is described in the New Testament, it's described as a community of people worshipping God who share and care for one another. Often meetings would take place in people's homes. And a good example of that is Antioch, where Jewish converts would eat and share with Gentiles. You know, those are two cultures that would never, ever have crossed over and met. Because to the Jews, the Gentiles were an unclean race. You just didn't associate yourself with Jews. Peter was part of the Jewish community that was sharing in Antioch. And he was quite happy to share with the Gentiles. He was quite happy to eat as they ate and to share that whole big community. I almost say big society there, I was getting worried to sound like a politician. But he wanted to share that bigger community. But something happened whilst he was at Antioch and a delegation came from Jerusalem. And these were all Jewish converts who came. And suddenly Peter started slipping back from having been in the mix to going back into his legalistic ways. You know, the law says this. This food is unclean. You know, there's certain things that as a Jewish convert I should be doing. And it actually got to the stage where if you look at Galatians 2, Paul actually rebuked him and says, you know, what are you doing? Literally, that's the type of language he's using. What are you doing? Because he realized that what Peter was doing was actually undermining the foundations that he was preaching of salvation by faith by trying to do salvation by law. And they already knew that the law didn't work. The law didn't lead to salvation. In Romans it tells us that the law was designed to just show us how worthless we really are and how hopeless it is for us to try and attain that's salvation. That it's a free gift from God. But here was Peter. Who grasped it. And was quite happily being involved in this big community. Suddenly slipping back. Until Paul. writes to him and says. No you've got it wrong. And through his actions. Paul communicated quite a vital aspect to the gospel. But the gospel. Is a Social is about social, racial, and regional integration. You know, it's not for one nation. It's not for one type of person. The gospel wasn't just given to the Jews. The gospel was for everyone. And later on in his writings, he actually declares it to be a predominantly Gentile church. He says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus broke down every single dividing wall. To form a brand new community. And that's what gives rise to this value. It gives rise to the idea that we're a loving community. Meeting both publicly from house to house. Sharing and caring for each other's needs. Both spiritual and material. Scripture calls us to embrace the Gospels sorry, embrace this gospel distinctive of one new man in Christ and to build communities everywhere that they set out they planted a church but if you read through Acts and you read through the New Testament the church wasn't just a, a church that met for meetings, they were a community people brought things, people shared things, they had meals Communion was originally part of a meal a lot of the time for these churches. You know, when they would meet for a meal they would break bread and share wine. When's the last time you did that when you were having people around for a meal? There's a challenge for you. But what is community? And what should a Christian community look like? Well, if we look at these communities the first thing that we see is that they were loving communities and that they reflected the essence of the very first community that existed even before creation, which was the Holy Trinity. In the local churches, through the fabric of loving relationships, we've got the opportunity to start reflecting the Father's love for the Son and the Spirit's love for them both. As we act out relationships with each other, what we're actually doing is mirroring what God feels for his son, but what the spirit feels for the father and the son. But we can mirror that in the way we interact with each other. God has placed fathers in the church. You know, he's given us leaders and we can love those leaders. Unfortunately, when we start talking about them as being fathers, the world can often distort our view of what a father's like, isn't, can't it? For some people, when we talk about fathers, they'll have a very negative opinion of them. But if you look at the original model of the father, to me that's something that you'd want to love. The son loved the father. I think it's great having two girls and anyone who was here last week can see or would have heard just how much children love their dads because as Owen was talking out here about us raising our worship up to God the Father Isla was walking back from having her nappy changed, going in the corridor going, Daddy! 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 eager to get back in here and be in the presence of the Father you know, and here's a challenge to you, as children of God Have we got that same eagerness to be in the presence of the Father? Do we love God enough that when we come here, we're coming here with that excitement where it's like, yes, we're going to be in the presence of Daddy. You know, I walk in the house at night and it's almost like you're getting rugby tackled when Karis comes at you and she's quickly followed by this thing on the floor going... (laughs) And it's not a puppy dog either, you know, it's just a little baby coming at you and screaming daddy at the top of your voice. It's fantastic. As a father, that feels good. Can you imagine how it feels for God when we come into the community and as a community, we are coming with that sort of excitement. And the best of it is, the love that we've got isn't a mushy love like we hear sort of Westlife or Take That singing about, you know. It's not the rubbishy love that the world Settles for. You read through 1 Corinthians 13, and the love that is spoken about is robust, it's practical, and it's effective. It's all about caring, it's all about looking after, it's all about embracing, protecting. It's fantastic. It is what love is supposed to be. And in 1 John 4.8 we realize that the world doesn't get it. Because it says this, that without God, no man can know love. For God is love. Through the love that we show, not just upwards towards God, but to each other. We make Christ known. People recognize God in the love that we show for each other. And it takes time, understanding and a lot of prayer, to get to the stage that I was at with our walking group in Scotland. That didn't happen overnight. The first time I ever met my best man, I'd started working in the civil service. And I got sat down opposite someone. And I had, um, I had a book about a Christian artist called Keith Green on my desk. And the guy recognized the name and he picked it up and he went, oh, so are you are a Christian then? And I went, yeah. And he says, oh, you're going to love sitting there because she's a white witch. And what I didn't know is I'd only been a Christian for two weeks and someone had given me this book. I can tell you for the rest of the time that I was sat opposite that girl, my life was literally hell. <laughs> it really was. Because I'd go in every morning and all I would get is, so did you go to church at the weekend then? Was it a rubbish? Do you really believe that stuff? You know, and that's the thing that I was putting up with and putting up with. But the great thing about it was, the more she tried to knock my faith, the stronger my faith got. It was a good testing ground for me. Eventually I got to the stage where I actually forgave Chris and started doing things with him. But it takes time to build those relationships. Genuine love should be caused by an overflowing of God's spirits in our life. That's why we're attracted to the people that are here. Because in our normal walks, would we really be attracted to each other? But what attracts us here is what we share in common. The next thing that we do as a community is we meet regularly, not drawn back. As some in the New Testament said, you know, it says in Hebrews that some people were being tempted not to meet regularly. And you know, there might have been reasons for that, because the church in the early days was being heavily persecuted. Some of them came from the Jewish background. They still had the legalistic, or the law, um, hovering over them. And they were thinking, is it really better to believe in Jesus, or do we still have to do everything in the law? Consider the church in Acts and read Acts 2. Here's a challenge for you. The early church actually met every single day. Now you can argue that they were held because how exciting would it be if suddenly you'd been in this place where you'd walked with Jesus, Jesus was taken away from you, Jesus gets resurrected, Jesus goes away again, but then wow. Holy Spirit time, knocked out flat, walking about like you're drunk, speaking in strange tongues that only other people from other lands can understand. You know, if God was to come in that sort of power to us today, I'm pretty sure that we'd quite happily give up work and start meeting daily because we'd be so taken up by what God was doing in our lives. So you can argue that there was reasons why they were so keen Um, There's one definition in a dictionary for, for the word that's used to describe them that actually translates as enthusiastic addiction to meeting together in large celebrations. You know, they were enthusiastically addicted to meeting. Here's a question for you then. We can attend a lot of meetings when we're first saved. We can attend a lot of meetings when things are going well in our lives. But when we really need God, you know, when that initial zeal drops off or things start going wrong in our life, what should we be doing? And what do we tend to do? The answer is we should be where God is. Because if things aren't going well for us, we need to be encouraged, uplifted, and really share with people who can help us. But the truth of the matter is, often, we fall away from God. It's almost as if we're frightened to come into God's presence because we feel we're unworthy. And then I think it's ironic that when we need God the most, it's often the time where we seek Him the least. And I sort of mentioned at the start about just how little time people seem to have you know, it seems to be that this, tech, this technology that people thought in the 70s would allow us to work a three day week and give us so much spare time to do the things that we really want to do, just makes us busier. You know, the fact that we're always contactable means that there always seems to be someone who wants to contact us. I'm forever getting into trouble with Becky, you know, because there's often I'll go out without a mobile phone. Shock, horror, who walks about nowadays without a mobile phone? We can be too contactable, but we also complain about never having enough time to do the things we want to do. Are we really a society that has got a lot busier than our parent societies? What is it that eats into our time? And here's a challenge for you. If you had to look at what ate into your time, how much of it could you really get rid of? How much of it is important? And How much of it is spent just astre- answering texts because people know you're available? Here's a challenge for you. Try turning off your mobile devices for an hour and see if you survive it. Something else that the early church did that showed there there were a loving, caring, sharing community is they shared in practical ways. You know, believe it or not, church life isn't just about spiritual stuff. We're not called just to be a holy nation that's too spiritual to be any earthly good. This is going to be quite, um, quite funny saying it, but Church is about material stuff too. If we look to share the lessons from the early church and we want to be discipled into as close a model as the early church was, then we've got to learn that what we've got is for the mutual benefit of everyone else. That's radical, isn't it? You know. I was hearing on the way in on the radio that it's 200 years since Karl Marx sent out his Communist Manifesto. You know, as I think about that, I can almost think back another 2,000 years and think there were certain elements of it already coming through and the ideas of what church should be. We're here for the greater good. We're here to share. But unlike communism, which was a flawed eh, model because it didn't take account of human behaviours or human nature, We've got the Holy Spirit that guides us. We've got God who says he supplies for our needs. But it's not enough for us when we know someone's in need. Just to say, well, God bless you. Be on your way. Let's pray for you. God gives us resources that we use the resources wisely. There's various examples the early church shared material possessions even to the extent that people sold everything that they had and gave it to the disciples to best judge what should happen to it. You think about the widow's mite you know she gave everything that she had into the offering. Now I'm not saying that because I'm not saying that's wise management unless God has told you to do that with your material stuff but we are told when we tithe to consider what God wants us to give how often do we just say 10% there we go in the offering do we really consider what we give each month I don't know I know I can be guilty of the 10% rule I can just put a cheque in the and It gets very easy to do it that way. But really we're called to consider and seek God with what we should be given. We know people go through difficult times. We have a duty to look after our community. But you know the best way that we can actually look after a person who's in need is as a community, because we can share a, bud- a burden as a community. It's a lot easier for us, as a group, to share that burden. The group that I was speaking about, would be occasions where we would go out for meals. And what we would do if we knew that someone couldn't really afford to have the meal with us, we'd just divvy it up by the rest of us that were left. So that the burden wasn't falling on to one person. It was spread across us. And that's a wise thing to do. There's other things that we can do as well. We can show our care in useful ways. Like offering to babysit. So that mum and dad can actually have some time together. Rather than all the time with the children. You know, actually going for a date. Maybe offering to pay bills. We had an incident recently where one of our neighbour's wife was getting taken into hospital and he was going to drive in his car and follow her at a time where he was obviously quite distraught. And I actually gave up my evening with the, the plans that I had to drive him to hospital. But I didn't just drive him to hospital. I then sat there with him until he knew what was going to happen and whether he needed to lift home or not. It's practical things like that. You know, try cooking a meal for someone if you know they're struggling or if you think they're needing help. Have you got a neighbour that's housebound that you could do weekly shopping for? Because you see the whole thing about what I was talking church community being is it's not just the people that are meeting here. It's our wider friends our wider acquaintances, because if we're going to build this body, our community has to be bigger than just the saved. You know, the list of things we can do can go on and on, but the key is that we're actually building a genuine care. Building a genuine caring community that shows its love for the Lord through loving the people who are part of that body if you loving the people who aren't part of that body. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge. You know it's easy to love people who are close to you. How more difficult is it to love those you don't yet know? <coughs> if you think about the example of the Good Samaritan The whole point of that story is the people who should have been helping him just walked on past because they were judging him, weren't they? And yet, when the Samaritan came along, now to a Jew, a Samaritan was worse than a Gentile. When the Samaritan came along and showed love to a total stranger, he was shown the heart of God where the religious people had failed. We need to start taking opportunities to go the extra mile for non-Christians not just for the Christians. And James puts it this way. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works is dead but someone will say you have faith and I have works show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works we are justified by faith that is one of our key values no one would argue past that and you know the truth is you need never ever do anything You know, you need never help anyone in your life. All you have to do is have faith and you will be saved. That is a biblical promise to us. But what James is saying here is, I'm going to demonstrate my faith by demonstrating God's love by doing the works and helping people. A truly loving and sharing community doesn't just meet and care for each other spiritually but also got to cater for physical needs of others. We've got to be more than just a praying community. We've got to be more than just meetings on a Sunday and midweek. We've got to be people who really start building our love for each other into the time we spend, not just with each other, but with non-Christians. And in the things that we do for each other, and non-Christians, we need to be a people that demonstrates love through actions. One of the things I've found really hard down here, and I still find it hard is that when we are in the house and I'll ask for a show of hands here when you're sat in the house. How many of you put a bolt or a lock or a chain on your front door? Hands up. You know what? There was times in Scotland where I would jump in the car and drive off and I'd get halfway to where I was going and think, I've not locked the front door. I think, oh well, no matter. I never ever locked the front door when I was in the house. Never it's a totally alien concept because the minute you put a walk on that door it's a barrier you're putting yourself in we had friends and relationships with friends where if you're in an area you just drop in on someone not even think that you had to phone them before you turned up you know now we make arrangements weeks in advance and check diaries just to make sure that we can squeeze people in I don't think that Scotland is that much different a country from England but I think the attitudes to communities can be different at times here's the challenge to you let's stop putting up barriers and let's start welcoming people in there's a fantastic group here to start with there's a fantastic group not here to start with you know, there's a few people missing today. But here's the challenge. How many people do you think you can share a cup of coffee with in the next three months? How many people can you go out to lunch with in the next three months or have round just for a chat? How many people can you get through in this congregation? For a small congregation, it shouldn't be that difficult. But that's the challenge I'm going to put out to you. Let's start building the love in here so it becomes natural when we're doing it with non-Christians and people aren't yet part of the body and that's all I've got to say on that value you know it's a challenge to us let's be that loving caring sharing community and when we meet let's not just talk about politics and holes in the ozone layer let's just talk about God or make time to talk about God And what God's done for us in our lives. Because that is the benefit of meeting together. That's what's going to build us up. So let's get doing it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk